It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Deborah Harmon is a lawyer and a journalist. And we're going to be discussing the new book, which is just fascinating, Inside the Manson Jury. As many of you may know, we're coming up on 50 years since the famed, infamous Manson murders. And again, is still making news. And of course, Charles Manson passed away a couple of years ago. And I say passed away to give him respect. <laughs> he died. <laughs> died uh, justifiably died finally after all of this time. Anyway, but Deborah Harmon is our guest. Deborah, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm yeah. excited to be here. Yeah, well, same here. And I'm seeing you all over TV, all over the documentaries on this, and you've been doing a wonderful job. And I know you brought Diane Lake. Do I have her name right? She was one of the yes, Manson families. You brought her to the public's attention, and that was just fascinating, everything that the two of you did together. When did that start? When did that relationship start? No, that's a story. Um, I, I'll i start with my fascination, of course, with all things Manson. Uh, as um, a young person in law school, I discovered writing in true crime, and so I did a dual degree in um, what they called at the time literary journalism which was um, creative nonfiction, and, of course, I wanted to write The Next in Cold Blood because I greatly admired the work of Truman Capote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had always wanted to do that, and then I became a literary agent, you know, and an author. I wrote, you know, 11 nonfiction books, and I had just, for whatever reason, uh, picked up um, a book by a wonderful journalist, Jeff Gwynn, and... It was about Manson, and it had new information about uh, what how he grew up and things that were very interesting. And I said into the universe, if I ever want to do a Manson book, this wonderful journalist has done so much great research. I'll just, you know, well, I can really start with his um, bibliography. And I started to obsessively rewatch Helter Skelter move, you know, the movie watch videos mm-hmm. and my husband who's a literary agent came in and said what's wrong with you <laughs> why are you why are you taking this journey to darkness and not a week went by when we got a um in fact I can, <laughs> if you want I could read you the original submission we got a what's called a query letter um into the literary agency from Diane, and she asked for me by name, and because I uh, every year um, my husband Jeff Herman puts out a guide for uh, writers called Jeff Herman's Guide to Book Publishers, Editors, and Literary Agents, and it's kind of a bible of the industry. So Diane, you know, had looked at it, but every year we reprint an essay um, that I've written about the, um, you know, the journey of the spiritual writer. Hmm. That's just in there. And it doesn't really fit, you know, with the other essays in the book, which are all very hard 
uh, factual, how do you get published, and that kind of thing. Would you like to hear the letter Diane wrote to our agency? Absolutely. She wrote, and and this is after my husband was teasing me for obsessing about (laughs) Charles Manson, okay? I am Diane Lake. Now, this came in July 13, 2016 in the afternoon. I am Diane Lake formerly known as Snake of the Manson Family Girls. I have an incredible story that I would like to share with the world. I have written my experiences with the Manson family and how I came to live with them at the age of 14 through 16 and the consequences of that life. Now at 63, I am finally able to share this story of coming of age in the throes of drugs, sex, rock and roll, and murder. I have been incredibly blessed, protected, and loved during my life then and now, to what I can only attribute to be God's grace. I have achieved a successful, happy life as a wife, mother, grandmother, daughter, sister, aunt, niece, cousin, and friend, as well as a special education specialist with a master's degree. Wow. I've managed to live, right? Yeah. I've managed to be well, like my I Manson, you know, girl, yeah. I've managed yeah, I've managed to live in Southern California my whole life with only a few people finding me another example of God's grace. And then, you know, she wrote, you know, because of the heightened interest, um and Leslie Van Houten's recommendation for parole, which of course we know was also now just again yeah. uh turned down. And then she said, I chose you from your guidebook primarily because I loved what Deborah wrote about the writer's journey and the path of the spiritual messenger. Wow. What did your husband, what did he say when this letter He walked into my office and held up the the email with a very sheepish look. (laughs) And he said, I will never doubt you. And that was the beginning of the journey. Um, Just unbelievable. And and then, I know. So, we, you know, everything about that uh, book was just so almost preordained. Um, Diane came out to where I live. We met. uh, We agreed to work together. We we really developed a wonderful friendship and took a journey um, that really brought out her memories and she allowed me to uh to really become her voice and she shared that journey with me so that was a whole year um hey let me jump in to remind folks that are just tuning in or turning on their radios a little late frank mckay here much more importantly writer and author and journalist lawyer how about that lawyer journalist yeah journalist lawyer deborah (laughs) Herman is our very special guest, and we're talking about our mutual obsession with Manson and all things Manson, but she's taken it a lot further than most people. Amazing. The new book out now is Inside the Manson Jury. Everyone's got to get that, and we'll get you more details. I'm sure Amazon is one place, right, Deborah? Inside the- yes, and also uh, we will have, we have a, a special link that will take uh, people to a page called um, mansonbook.com hmm. and it'll take take you directly to a page that will give ordering information it's not going to be it might later be in your local 
bookstore. But for now, we really just wanted it out there and uh, easy for people to purchase. Yeah, amazing. Your work with Diane Lake, who, you know, a.k.a. Snake, you know, let's keep in mind that she was 14 years old when they got a hold of her or vice versa. She fell into their web. Really, I mean, a 14-year-old, you know, kid, child at that particular time. And I know her parents were, you know, hippies, right? They were they yeah. were certainly, you know, free, uh, free-loving and, you know, out there. And, you know, they were very liberal with the marijuana use and other use, other drug use and everything else. But still, a 14-year-old kid ending up as one of the members of the Mansing family. And, you know, I think as society looks at, you know, they might say, oh, man, a Manson girl, you know, or, or a Manson family member and kind of look down. She's a 14-year-old kid. She's a victim. And I thought you brought that up incredibly well. And I think the handling of by you and by Diane made it so enjoyable to listen to, uh, disturbing, obviously disturbing, but there didn't seem to be an ounce of self-pity in her, you know, just strength, just, and I'm sure that a lot of that came from you encouraging her to do this. This is a, had to be a terrifying thing to do. So congratulations on all of that. Oh, thank you. Um, You know, doing member of the family, uh, which was uh, the book that came out, um, not even, I think it was a month not even before uh, Manson died. Um, the timing of everything for this book was was crazy because I really feel, and, and Diane and I both felt that she, first of all, she was spared so many times when she could have died, uh, either, she, I mean, by her own hand even. Yeah. She had reached levels of despair when she was with Manson where she thought about taking her own life. And there were circumstances where she certainly could have been killed. And uh, she, she felt that she was so protected. And we thought about, well, what's the reason for that? It was like she was this fly-on-the-wall observer to be able to bring to light what it was really like so many years later because people like to look at things as if it could never happen to them. And I've studied not only Diane's journey, but I've always had a fascination with cults. They're not that, nobody wakes up in the morning and when they're children, they never write, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a member of a cult. It, It happens in a way that is very unpredictable and, uh, subtle. And then people find themselves in something that, that they didn't realize was going to turn into uh, something that could be very awful. And, you know, I've been interviewed as just related to cults, and I think we can look at even certain marriages where you have domestic violence. Whenever there's a an undue influence that's been programmed into someone, it's the same concept as being in a cult. And, you know, people also look at the fact that Diane was so young, but many people, you know, we're looking in hindsight, people forget what it was like in the 60s Mm. and what society was, you know, that was a time of, of major societal change where people were experimenting with all kinds of new ways of being. The beginning of that movement was uh, of the what 
I guess they called the hippie movement. Um, you know, Manson himself did not relate to that term, but the hippie movement was really to question the the values of the establishment, to look at the inequities of society, and her parents dropped out of society, and even the drug use and the fact that her father gave her her first um, LSD trip, yeah. the psychedelic movement was not just to get high. They thought they were raising people's consciousness for a better world. No now, question. Were, yeah. yeah. It was very different. Let me just jump in on something that caught my ear as you were saying, you know, how different things were. Keep in mind, and I want to get into the LSD in a bit because it was a huge part of what Manson was able to, I almost said accomplish, you know, but with these no, young he kids. Did yeah. I mean, amazing mind control over these, you know, over these kids, over these kind of wayward folks that we hear. But Consider this, and this is a difference in a kind of a mirror on where we were in the 60s, where we are now. Consider the fact that Manson never was brought up on sexual child abuse charges. I mean, he had sex with Diane when she was 14 years old. There's no statutory rape in his charges on his rap sheet, right? I mean, there's nothing along those lines. He could have been charged with rape a million times. They obviously focused on the murder and everything else. But today, nowadays, I mean, that would have been in there. It would have been included in there. And well, Manson would be known as you, a child molester as well. Well, you bring up a really interesting point that I added to this new book, um, Inside the Manson Jury. We see all of the notes um, that the uh, jury foreman, Herman Tubick, took while he's listening to the witnesses. And during the one of the key witnesses, um, Linda Kasabian, um, you know, during her testimony, um, he talks about, well, she talks about, um, you know, what was happening at the ranch, and uh, he refers to her testimony about orgies and things like that. But it, it, even in how he wrote the book, it's very um, matter of fact, and I added this information that um, it was very, it was very obvious why um, the juror didn't really include it um, because there was there were people who were in the jury. There was one uh, alternate juror who asked to be excused because of the graphic um, sexual descriptions. Wow. So you have to remember there was a real clear cut um, distinction in moral values, most of the people were very conservative and, the, you know, the, they were brought up before the pill was a thing and nobody was talking about sex. You know, before and, the sexual revolution in general. I mean, Yes. And you were talking about um, the idea of rape. Um, so in the actual transcript, um, I'm, actually, I'm actually looking at it. Uh, for um, to see if I can quote it, but I've got I've got the book in front of me. Um, it, she describes a situation that was absolutely a rape. That um, you know that Manson uh, did and actually forced some of the members to participate in wow. of a young girl. 
I mean, it's just he so, sodomized yeah. her, right? He sodomized her. Um, well, that was actually that, that's in that's a separate thing. Um, this was uh, a young girl who they brought to the family, and she didn't want to make love with. Uh, or whatever you would call it, right. they said make love with, with Manson, and and he forced her. And that's, you know, was in the transcript and in the testimony. Um, the jury heard this. And, you know, when Manson, they were, and what was so funny is Manson's lawyer, and again, this is in this book, actually had the audacity to object to say that her characterization of making love with Manson and all of this was impugning his reputation. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> this is Manson's okay. lawyer after he was no longer this is his, his lawyer. Oh, yeah, God. His own the, lawyer. The shenanigans, yeah. I'll use yeah. the word shenanigans, yeah. that went on behind the scenes of this trial are, are absolutely amazing. Crazy. I want to bring something up. But before you, you do, of, let me just oh. remind everyone, Inside the Manson Jury is a new book. Everyone's got to get it, but also get member of the family, and that's Diane Lake, along with our guest here, who brought Diane to light here, brought it to national and international attention, writer, journalist, lawyer. Deborah Herman is our very special guest, Frank McKay, here with Deborah. Go ahead, Deborah. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, thank you. I forget that uh, I just am so inter- interested in the subject. Yeah. You know, you were talking about how LSD was uh, a prominent feature of the psychedelic movement and also how Manson used it for programming. Keep in mind, LSD was originally being used by the government where they were experimenting on how it could be used. Um, there was such a thing as uh, MK Ultra, which was used for mind control. And originally, LSD was not illegal, and they were doing a lot of experiments to see how it could be in some way weaponized um, and used uh, in, through, you know, with military um, potential and, uh, or, you know, for, uh, questioning of, of people. Um, so it's a very, it was very powerful and, you know, Manson would absolutely, um, you know, kind of imbue his followers with the messages he wanted them to have about him and about what he wanted. The whole story is amazing. And if we don't pay attention to it now, I think we're missing a great opportunity. And again, and I jokingly said in the beginning, you have an obsession with Manson, and I do to a lesser degree. But I mean, I'm fascinated with Manson constantly. Anytime there's a, that's how I came across you. You know, whenever there's a new documentary, I get it right away and I watch it. I watch it several times and just see what comes up that's new. And actually, I mean, after all of these years, just think about it. All of these years that have gone by, new information was brought to the public's attention on this, and it was brought by our very special guest here. And, you know, it's an amazing thing to do after all of this time. Deborah Herman, once again, is an attorney and and a journalist. And Inside the Manson Jury is a must for everyone. They've got to get this. It's a fascinating book. And we've been discussing this. And if you stepped away, Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, welcome back to Breaking It Down and Deborah Herman. 
is our very, very special guest, a lawyer, journalist. Our subject is Manson, Charles Manson. We're coming up on the 50th anniversary of these horrendous murders and really the end of the 60s. I mean, so much for peace, love, and understanding. I mean, Manson changed the dialogue and kind of launched us into the 70s into a much darker area. You know, he put that end to the 60s. I guess the Beatles breaking up and the Manson trial kind of defined what happened in 1969 as far as the hippie movement went. And again, I know he didn't like that expression, but... Well, he he called them uh, slippies because he wanted them to be able to blend in, and he went out of his way to teach them how to become whatever anybody wanted so that they could fit in anywhere. Um, he, He... taught them, I mean, he was called a man of a thousand faces because he could change his appearance with just the muscles of his face. And you really thought you were looking at a different person. And he could, um, you know, Diane explained very well that one day he could be fitting in with the bikers, you know, and, and speaking their language. He could also fit in and make himself sound like he was completely unintelligent. And then he could fit in with people who were highly intelligent. And the amazing thing about my opportunity for a second time, and again, this time really using more of my, you know, my, my legal education, which would have made my parents very proud, um, <laughs> since I chose the writing path more so than, than the law path. Uh, may they rest in peace. Right. Um, it, you know, the exciting thing too was to see he was very intelligent. I would say genius. And there are some real, it's, it's, there are some comical, um, things that I included, uh, and added to, um, Mr. Tubick's original manuscript to show how Manson was manipulating the judge. He was manipulating the courtroom. He was manipulating his lawyers. And, you know, he would say things like, well, I speak like a small child. And then he would use these, these, you know, big words and explain, yes, my story is too esoteric. I need to explain it myself. You know, he was not, he may have been functionally illiterate, maybe. And he, you know, we surmise that he had, you know, auditory uh, learning because he just didn't have education. But he was highly intelligent and his instinct for survival was so strong that he was going to allow nothing to stand in his way at this trial. Now imagine this. Herman Tubick wrote this book with his wife in 1973 for posterity, put it in an envelope and stuck it in a drawer, left, left it to his, you know, his daughter. They had, they had two daughters, both of whom were nuns, are wow. nuns. Okay, very yeah. strong a highly religious man um, and a Catholic. And again, we're talking about the 60s when the word Catholic did not in any way cause anyone to cringe. No. You know, uh, because there were no, you know, there were no scandals. And he, you know, throughout the book, uh, there are um, descriptions of his, you know, religious belief and, and prayer and all of that, you know. And then 
it's sitting in a drawer and it doesn't come to light until this time and when it was given to me it was the sacred trust you know that it really had to be given now to posterity because at the time he could not have imagined that 50 years later people would still be questioning whether or not Charles Manson was actually guilty because, you know, essentially he did not wield the knife when she, um, when the yeah. victims were killed at the Tate House or the LaBianca House. When you read this, <laughs> this book, you see the evidence is so strong, and you also see that Manson was his own worst enemy with what he, you know, with his manipulation and during the trial of showing what they were trying to prove all along was this conspiracy that he was the one who caused them to do the crimes. He proved it himself by ha- by his behavior during the trial. Yeah. Just, so uh, anybody who has any doubt and anybody who has any doubt about um, a lot of people, you know, I found out after the uh, member of the family book came out, how many people believed that Bugliosi made up the whole concept of helter skelter and first of all, again, as a lawyer, this is so exciting to me. The prosecution did not have to prove motive. All they had to prove, so it really didn't matter. All they had to prove was whether or not these people did what they were accused of doing. Yeah. Let me, Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating, but it's also worth pointing out, and I'll remind everyone that we're talking about Inside the Manson Jury. It's a book written by the jury foreman from the Manson murder trial and Herman Tubick is the author and it's amazing to me just absolutely amazing to me that you know here's this man he just wanted to write this book to set the record keeps it in a drawer so he didn't want to become famous he didn't want to become you know rich off of it he wanted to set the record straight or give his impression but you mentioned Bugliosi and let me remind people of who that is and again our guest is Deborah Herman Vincent Bugliosi was the DA and he was the prosecutor on the Manson murders, and he couldn't wait to get out and help this. And again, I hear you, and I defend him too, you know, like that. He didn't make up all this. But again, he couldn't wait to get famous. He couldn't wait to get rich, Bugliosi, and he put out the book. And I'm glad he did. I love it. I love the book, and I love the movie. And and it's really what defined the Manson trial and the Manson murders for a generation, our generation. It was my first taste of what happened in there as a young kid was the Bugliosi work. So I, you know, congratulate him for that. But again, contrary to what Herman Tubick did, Bugliosi, you know, again, he couldn't wait to get famous. He couldn't wait to get the book out and get rich. And uh, well, I, yeah. absolutely. And and do you, ha- you have no idea how many books there are on this subject. Um, and uh, it's it's absurd and actually um the he says uh in the ford um rick gortenberger who is the nephew um says that um even posthumously and you know rick is standing in his uncle's shoes um with this book even posthumously he's not cashing in the proceeds any proceeds generated um are going to be donated to the sisters of notre dame in thousand oaks california because by the request of his cousin sister pauline 
So it's this really is a gift to set the record straight, to allow people to see that what almost as if you're sitting in his chair, what the testimony was that that was of interest to the jury, what it was like to be sequestered for nine and a half months, mm. you know, wow. and how they <laughs> made it through that. Wow. They, yeah. Wow. It's, and it's a, and it's a period piece too, because you, you know, I mean, I, I, ed- we edited some things, you know, uh, because it, it needed editing and yeah, I'm sure, sure we would have done it back in 1973, but you know, we really left it um, with the personality and uh, the feelings of the times, you know, where he's so sad because he's not going to have a home-cooked meal with his wife, and his wife is so sad because she misses him and and has to take care of things. But, you know, th- this is how the family life was for, you know, just regular people back in 1969. He was 59 years old when he served on the jury. Hmm. And... Um, you know, wow. he took it very seriously. And actually, um, another interesting fact is, you know, he, they couldn't have chosen a more conservative, steady man. Yeah. Um, he was a mortician. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I he, mean, he, he, he wouldn't very... have been... He wouldn't have been grossed out, you know, so to speak, of the brutalness of and the brutality that went there. I mean, that's it's actually a great pick if you think about it. I mean, you know, a mortician is used to death. He's used to. You know, I don't think anyone, even a mortician, was not. If, well, not they weren't prepared. By, right. They weren't. Right. They weren't well, prepared. because. Um, yeah. But you're right that of all people, you know, looking at at photos or you know um it wouldn't have that wouldn't have shaken him um but you really get to sit in his chair to see you know he he did very little editorializing because they were so careful not to discuss the case with each other they did not discuss it with their spouses and so even throughout the notes and the writing of the book um he doesn't editorialize he waited until they looked at every bit of evidence um, before they rendered a, a verdict. They didn't go in there assuming by gut feeling, yes, they're all guilty. Hmm. And and they didn't judge them because they were, you know, long-haired hippies. Right. Wow. It just an unbelievable wrinkle in this case. Like I said, 50 years after the fact... New information yeah. comes to us, and it all seems to be coming to us from our guest, lawyer, journalist, yeah, Deborah really. Herman. Yeah, wonderful work, because this is, is a huge part of history, and it is a period piece. Everything you see on Manson is a period piece. I mean, the information, the everything from the clothing to the hairstyles to the lifestyles to the attitudes towards drugs, religion, and sex is very much 1969. And, you know, that era, Frank McKay here, once again, with Deborah Herman, the name of the book, everyone's got to get it, is Inside the Manson Jury. Herman Tubick was the author of this, basically the historian for the book. And it's brought to light by our wonderful guest who has 11 nonfiction books out herself or did even before she started. Well, now 12. And this will be, um, even though I'm more or less just a contributor, this will be 13. Lucky 13. Wonderful, yeah. But 
there's an extra surprise in this book. But they got to buy the book to get the surprise, right? <laughs> they should buy. Don't go. Go ahead. You're going to surprise. Give us a nugget here. You, you want them to? Oh, it, it, they'll have to see it, right? But we have, um, we have some illustrations. Oh, oh, very good. Wow, they're it, amazing. We, we, are, yeah. Are they from the jury, the illustrations, or are they from the court reporter? Or is it after the fact? It's after the fact, but it's. Uh, but we used an amazing artist who did um, some uh, pen and ink uh, drawings of the some of the key witnesses, and they're unbelievable. They're beautiful, and they're integrated within the narrative in the place where, for example, you know, you have a key witness, Linda Kasabian, or or who was a key the major witness for the prosecution and then you get to see what she looked like yeah so you know it's yeah, a really special book yeah it, no doubt so it, you know i'm so thrilled with it i and and you know what when i finished member of the family and we were promoting it there was a part of me that felt i wasn't finished yet and then rick called me out of the blue and i said send me your Query letter, I looked at it, I called them right away, and I said, oh my goodness, this will complete my, I, who knows, but for now, it'll complete my work with Manson. Yeah, well, here's something out of left field, but actually, before that, go to mansonbook.com also, and kind of follow yeah. that trail. Diane Lake was a member of the Manson family at 14 years old and, you know, participated not in the murders, but in the family rituals or whatever you'd want to call it prior to that. And she was brought to light by Deborah Herman, our very special guest, Frank McKay, here with, once again, the lawyer journalist, Deborah Herman. I'm thrilled to have her. And again, the name of the book everyone's got to get is Inside the Manson Jury and Herman Tubick, the jury foreman is the one who chronicalized and, you know, I guess the keeper of the flame for, for that jury, for yes. sure, without yes. question. Deborah Herman is once again here with us, Frank McKay here. And let me ask you something, and this is out of left field, the Beatles. Did Nothing's they, out of left field with yeah, this subject, yeah, believe me. Yeah, true. Did the Beatles ever comment on Manson? Anything interesting come from the Beatles on this, or they always mums the word on what happened? Because for those who don't know, of course, the White Album, Manson felt that the Beatles were somehow talking to him and, and Helter Skelter, the name of the book, it was spelt wrong, incorrectly, on the wall in blood at one of the murder sites. And, uh, and that was a Beatles song on the White Album. And, and Piggies, right, came into Little Piggies came into play there, Sexy Sadie from that album. That was Susan Atkins. That was her nickname was Sadie, you know, Sexy Sadie. So he was heavily influenced by the White Album. And, you know, more than once in the Beatles' lives did a murder take effect because somebody thought that they were being spoken to from the Beatles. As far as you know, did the Beatles ever comment on Manson? You know... From my research, I think uh, they were very upset about it. I know that George Harrison, um, you know, really felt that he tarnished their name and made it difficult for men with long hair. Yeah. And, you know, they they knew uh, Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, 
and uh, you know it was really it was really bad for them from what i understand um you know paul mccartney didn't pay, play helter skelter uh after this whole thing um you know and probably for years so it's a question i think that people will always wonder but certainly they i think they were very relieved when um he was caught and certainly uh it it was very upsetting for them and he represented the opposite of anything that they would have espoused especially uh john lennon yeah right there's so many twists and turns to this story, and there's so many things that are affected from it. I mean, Nixon actually came into play, and and Manson, you know, you mentioned how astute he was on so many things. He was trying to get a mistrial based on the fact that Nixon said they were <laughs> they were guilty, which is something I think all presidents that came after Nixon would be very careful about commenting on. Uh, well, on, but Manson was really um, controlling all of the defense attorneys. And I think it was discovered, I'm trying to see if I have it even in, in the in the book, um, I think it was discovered that they brought that newspaper headline into the courtroom themselves because they were trying everything to um, to get a mistrial. They tried everything. It, that's what is so amazing. I think any, you know, reaching out now to my lawyer colleagues, anybody or, or people who just love a good trial, you know, in a movie or something, this has it all. I mean, people do not realize the manipulations and even the disappearance of um, the defense attorney, Ronald Hughes, they've never been able to tie it to um, the, the Manson family. But people yeah. know that during the trial, they, they did threaten people. And uh, so it wasn't out of the question. They were trying everything to keep him from um, being convicted. And they wanted they first they wanted him to be acquitted completely. All of the girls, believe it or not, threw themselves under the bus. Yeah. Because yeah. they because he told them to. Just an amazing story and still fascinating. It just doesn't get it's old. It's so amazing yeah. what yeah. he did and, and and what he was able to do in, in our legal system. And yeah. you know, Believe it or not, and this will be something we'll talk about next year. Yeah. Believe it or not, um, my next book, I'm working with a survivor of, um, I don't mean to get ahead of myself, but That's I'm working okay. with a survivor of, of uh, Ted Bundy. Oh, boy. Wow. But, of course, it's a survival story. It's a memoir. But what's fascinating, now I'm able to compare Charles Manson and the, what he did during his trial with Ted Bundy and what he was doing during his trial. So you've got two really smart, manipulative psychopaths trying to run their own trials who both wind up shooting themselves in the foot because it, they're delusional. 
How interesting is that for a comparison? No question about it. Listen, unfortunately, we're running out of time here, but wow, maybe I can get you back for a part two and a part three. There's so much more to say about Manson that hasn't been pointed out or hasn't been said. Like I said, in 50 years, you don't usually, especially with cameras being what they were then, I mean, this wasn't the Civil War, you know, and just in pictures or whatever. This is something where you had news footage, you had video cameras, you had tape recorders. I mean, we had a lot of information at the time of the trial, but the fact that there's new information coming out, even though we were kind of in the modern era in 1969 when this was going on and into 1970, but Deborah Herman, our guest is someone who keeps bringing new information about the Charles Manson situation and the cult and the Manson family and the murders, these terribly innocent people who were completely innocent and just got slaughtered like animals from this lunatic from Manson's followers. And then you look at the women, you almost sympathize, even though they did something unthinkable, but you almost could sympathize with them that they were brainwashed and everything else. But, you know, Manson has made himself in life and in death the epitome of evil. When you think of evil, you think of, you know, you think of Hitler maybe first and foremost. But, you know, soon after that, and Manson's on a short list of where you go when you think about evil. And again, Deborah Herman has just released the book Inside the Manson Jury. It's an amazing tale. Everyone's got to get it. And again, go to mansonbook.com and see some of her past work. The author of 13 books, 13 books, just amazing stuff. Deborah, I want to thank you very much for being here. And give us a website one more time where people can go and follow along with what you're doing. With the Manson book, it's mansonbook.com. And it will lead to my general website, which is um, micropublishingmedia.com. Um, You can also find a page dedicated to uh, this book, um, and it'll include, you know, more of the uh, Manson information, and it's um, Manson Jury Book, uh, Facebook Manson Jury Book, and you'll have lots of information. Plus, I keep adding little tidbits about the trial and about Manson and things that come up. Uh, I'd love for people to join me there and comment and ask questions because I think after all the, this time, I'm probably the one who can answer them. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm the <laughs> foremost Manson expert. How about that, Deborah? Yeah, Harmon. I think I am I, now. I think it's clear cut. And thank you once again for being here. My, 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 my pleasure. <laughs> Deborah Herman, everyone. Deborah Harmon is an author and lawyer, 13 books. Inside the Manson Jury is the one you got to get right now. And again, you know, follow the trail of the Manson book, mansonbook.com. Go there. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.